Welcome to Gin and Topic. I'm Sarah. And I'm Anya. And we don't know anything about anything, really, but we do like to drink gin. That's true. So we decided each week we would drink gin with an expert on something, and hopefully they can teach us something. Awesome. Lovely. Star Trek. Agreed. Okay, so this week we are talking cancer. Cheery. Um, but we're not talking uh, the human, oh, I don't know, the human side of cancer. We're not, we're not talking about the emotive side. Well, we might be, well, we but we're talking about the it's science. very hard to separate it from the emotive. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about the science of cancer with a researcher who researches cell and molecular biology, um, Annie Howitt from the University of Cambridge, and she's in the MRC cancer unit. Which is what? Which is MRC is the... mm, Yes, it's a good question. It's Cancer Research UK, Mm -hmm. and MRC is... uh, what is MRC? Medical Research Council. Got you. Okay. So okay, it's like so a she's, fancy... she's part of the university, but it's the it's the real cancer area that mm-hmm. is um, uh, funded by the Medical Research Council um, and Cancer Research UK. So her stuff is all about cancer. And she, her question for us is... Our question for her, even. Well, our question of her and whether we know anything about it is what is cancer? And I find that really interesting because I don't know actually what cancer is. No, no. I know what the results are of cancer. I know that it develops as tumours, mostly. Yeah. But that's about it. And I know that there are some cancers you can cure and there are some some cancers that you can't. And depending on when you get it because there's different stages absolutely and that's the thing she wants to she wants us to look at what is cancer and how does it develop yeah and I think that's about those stages and when you catch it and the fact that the cancer does change and grow Mm -hmm. but I really don't know how I don't know how and I'm very lucky to not have had somebody in my life who has gone through that which probably means I do know less than people who maybe have had somebody yeah now my grandmother died of bowel cancer right Um, But all I know, remember about that, was her being in hospital and having a colostomy bag and she had cancer. But I still don't know anything about it. It. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But really good because we ought to be talking more about cancer. Yes. Yeah. Removing some of the the fear almost. Yeah. And actually, you know, yeah, we need to know about it. Mm -hmm. We do. Because I think there's that overarching term of cancer isn't there Mm -hmm. but there are so many different types and I don't even know how many different types there are no I wouldn't begin to guess but there is one thing we do every every month check your boobies well you check your boobs I do that first of every month in the shower brilliant Mm -hmm. and also go and have horrible cold duck lips I don't yet I'm not old enough I don't the gin we have chosen um goes really well with our topic because Mm -hmm. it is a cuckoo solace gin and this uh, money from proceeds from this solace gin goes to a cervical cancer trust brilliant um so we know that we are drinking this Mm -hmm. and we're um funding a little bit 
into that cervical cancer trust as well. Mm -hmm. So, and it's by a distillery called, who's Cuckoo? Uh, The Brindle Distillery. Uh, So if you look up the Brindle Cuckoo Solace Gin, I think that's a lovely thing as well, that it's a solace gin. So it's for anyone that has been affected with cancer, can sit and have a solace, a glass of solace. Um, and talk about and it's cancer. a gorgeous bottle I've got to say it is so it's a lovely... I went very posh then that was my posh voice a gorgeous gin it is Too it's a lovely lovely um turquoise but I love the mm. gradient as well because it's clear at the bottom so let's have a try okay. of the solace cheers, cheers. oh it's quite um buttery I think I would disagree. I think we've had more butterier gins in the past. Mm. I think this one is more herby. There's a, n- not in a bad way. Herby sounds bad for a gin, but... No, every time you say it, I think of a VW Beetle, but... That's because you're old. Yeah, I think so. I like it. See, I was... I you go herbs and I mm. go marshmallow. Oh, no, is I that don't weird? get marshmallow. I that know. is weird. Maybe it's just because I... That's interesting that we have such different tastes with it, though. It's nice. I, I think it is quite solace provider. Brill, so we have gin in hand. <laughs> I, have to, I have to pour mine, actually. Do you want the oh, sounds lovely. on the microphone? <laughs> oh, gin no. ASMR. Ooh. <laughs> That's the only kind of thing I want to listen to. Okay. So are you Lovely. It's a very it. nice bottle. Oh, do you know we That's were just what talking? I said. <laughs> very, very cool. I haven't seen this colour bottle before. So what do you think of the gin? Well, that's lovely. That's really nice. Quite I could drink a lot. Yeah, yeah. very. Mm. It's another good summertime oh. one, I'd say. On a hot day, yeah, lots of ice, Definitely. maybe a little umbrella. Oh, steady. <laughs> cool. And we are going to talk cancer yeah. with you. And it was really interesting because Anya and I did the a little chat about what we know about cancer. And we realised we actually know absolute bugger all mm-hmm. about actually what cancer is mm-hmm. and yeah. how it develops all we know is the um the emotive the, uh, emotive side yeah. uh, the different types deaths by cancer you know uh cancer raising and uh, money raising charities for mm-hmm. cancer research but actually nothing about the the cell biology mm-hmm. of cancer yeah Completely. I think you've really picked up on one of the key points I wanted to raise here is that cancer is such a huge term. It describes so many diseases. And that's why when you think about cancer as a whole, it's kind of overwhelming because there's so many different types that you kind of think, how can I ever know about all of these? Um, And how are they all linked? You know, how can this be describing so many different things? Um, And it's kind of boils down to what the process is underlying it. So cancer is just, you know, in its simplest form is cells growing uncontrollably and they're typically damaged cells. So these aren't, these aren't good cells. They've kind of been lured over to the dark side. Something's gone wrong at some point and they're just growing uncontrollably and your body is really 
controlled normally every every cell knows where it needs to be it knows what it needs to do it stays in its specific spot and it's quite happy you know and it's kind of a rebellion that happens when cancer occurs because it sort of forgets its uh, social responsibility and what it should be doing completely and throws out the rule book and goes I'm doing my own thing now screw the rest of you <laughs> um but so that happen can happen in so many different ways which is why we get so many different types of cancer um and especially it's a process it's such a simple process that underlies it all that it can occur anywhere basically because it's just all your cells can divide by themselves that's kind of the point of them and it's that process going wrong that causes cancer but because all of your cells can do that anyway it means that any of your cells can cause it basically but in slightly different ways <laughs> Yeah. So what is the sort of process of cancer development? There's a lot of evidence now that cancer is caused by mutations, which is kind of errors in your DNA, which is sort of the blueprint, the instruction manual, whatever you want to call it for your cells that tell it what to do, what to make, how to act, all of that stuff. And there's actually a change in the kind of code that explains all of this to the cells, the DNA. And then when that gets mutated, so there's a spelling error then the cells start to read things a bit differently. They start to do things a bit differently. And then this is how it goes wrong. Really commonly in a lot of different types of cancers, the first mutation that happens, so I should say as well that cancer normally has multiple mutations. It's kind of a stepwise process whereby, because there's so many processes in your cells that stop them going into cancer, that you need to kind of cross each barrier to form a tumor there's so many fail safes you're actually really safe <laughs> there's a lot of events in your body that could cause cancer at some point but your body is really good at recognizing it at loads of different points so you kind of to get to that end stage of causing disease you need to kind of meet all these boundaries and accumulate lots of different changes in the cells to make them kind of evil enough to cause a cancer so many things have to come together um, and often one of the first steps that happens is a mutation which stops D like DNA itself, the thing that gets mutated that causes cancer, it stops it being to correct the errors. So you don't have spell check anymore. You kind of mutate one of the, the things in the cells that spots mutation goes, hey, that's not right, either fixes it or tells the cell that something's not right. So the cell can kind of recognize its own damage and respectfully bow out. It kind of says, okay, I've had my job. I've done my job. You guys got this now. You know, it kind of secludes itself and actually it commits itself to die. Um, and it says, I'm not good for you guys anymore. You know, this is an unhealthy relationship. I've got to, <laughs> I've got to break the ties. And it kind of respectfully and honorably commit suicide to protect the rest of them and then it's wow. when you don't get that recognition that something is wrong when cells are just happily going along and they don't realize that they're damaged that's when you get cancer because they're really good at normally telling if they're damaged themselves there's lots of signals that say hey something isn't right here they're very good at self-moderating and when that process breaks down that's when you get problems basically um and often the, yeah, so the first mutation happens, which means that they can't recognize that damage anymore or something to that effect, or it makes more damage more likely. You get this kind of cycle going. It kind of escalates and snowballs really quickly. 
I, I was just thinking about how, you know, when you, you're having a really bad conversation, you end up digging yourself into a hole, don't you? I and do you said, said something wrong. Yeah. And it's like, actually, that's just gone wrong. And instead of rectifying it, just everything else goes wrong. Or you just have one of those. It's kind of like or that then you internally. you point out that it's gone wrong. And then you're both aware of it. And then you just can't escape. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Completely. <laughs> and there's kind of this other step as well that the cells have to avoid. So there's loads of systems within your own cell. You know, you if you wake up one day and you feel a bit dodgy, you kind of recognise that in yourself. But you know it really hits home when someone else says, you look a bit dodgy. And that's kind of what happens with the immune system. They kind of, they can recognise the damage as well as an external party. And that's when you know it's really bad. <laughs> and so then you look at, you take these cancerous cells and you look at them to understand how they work? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned earlier about cells making decisions, Cells are always making decisions about whether they should live, whether they should die. So like I said earlier, they can commit to dying. They say, I'm no good for you. I'm going to go. But it's also an active decision to survive as well, because the default processes in your body are saying, actually, it's not always good for the default to survive because that can cause some problems. Um, so there's this really fine balance of a cell knowing when it should live and when it should die. But then there's also this fine balance of a cell knowing what it is in itself, if that makes sense. So the cells that are in your brain versus the ones that are in your liver, they're really different. Um, and also there are, within your liver, there are some cells that are responsible for producing other cells. And there are some cells that are kind of worker cells, as in they get the jobs done that the liver needs to do, whereas there are some more kind of producing cells. So they make the workers, If like a queen bee and the worker bees. It's sort of like that. Um, and you kind of, you lose, cancer cells often lose their identity. Um, and that's what we kind of see as a decision as well. We also see decisions as how moving or how motile cells are. So whether they decide to kind of stick where they are, which is normally good. So that's what you want. You don't want cells moving everywhere. Um, but in cancer, you get cells that are really they mobile. They kind of go everywhere that they shouldn't. And that's also sort of a decision. Um, but even with the same information, two different cells can make different decisions about these things that I just spoke about. So, for example, when a mutation happens, two cells, one may go, oh, no, I'm mutated. I'm probably no good for this anymore and head out. Another one decides, oh, it's OK. Don't worry about it. Water off the duck's back, you know, and keeps going. And we don't necessarily know all of the factors that mean that one cell decides to die and one goes, that's nah, fine and keeps on going. Um, so I'm trying to understand how different factors affect what a cell will decide to do, because yeah. there's, you know, within a tumor, there's millions of cells. It's so many cells. And to assume that they're all doing the same thing is kind of like assuming all of us as a population are doing the same thing. So it's the a lot of it is what's going on in that one person so it isn't just a mm -hmm. one disease to understand mm -hmm. it's also the relationship between each of the individual people and there are quite a lot of people completely and even so what i specifically look at is that even within one tumor of one patient there are differences between the cells in that tumor even once you've got to that point where they've all made really bad decisions there's still going to be some differences between the cells one because um, as I said, these mutations occur and because of earlier mutations, they're often more likely to develop mutations, um, kind of this feeds itself. You get these differences and it's kind of like 
a mini stage of evolution, but in the body. Um, and you get this variation and that's really beneficial for the cancer because the situation in your body is always changing, especially when you start to introduce treatments and you get evolving within the patient with the treatment that you get to it. So there may be some cells in the cancer that respond really well to the treatment and they die as they should do. However, because there are differences between the cells and there might be different kind of groups of cells present, some of them might not respond. And then that's why you maybe wouldn't get the best treatment response as you would expect and you get sort of resistance emerging which is a really big problem with cancer treatment okay i didn't know there's a problem with resistance because obviously you hear a lot about chemotherapy and radiotherapy and the different ways to tackle it and you hear sometimes Mm -hmm. the one thing doesn't work for people but i didn't realize that actually sometimes people are just resistant to it because those cancer cells mutate and go nope that doesn't bother me i'm fine with it yeah so there's kind of kind of two aspects to resistance there's The first aspect where even though we know a lot more about cancer now and say someone presents with a tumor, we can test those cells and see what mutations have been caused by it. And we can kind of predict what um, treatment they will respond to. They might not do for some reason because there are other factors that we don't understand yet. So that's kind of what we call innate resistance. So when the patient even, you know, at no point will they respond to the therapy. So straight away, it doesn't work. And then there's a second aspect, which over time, because there's this process of evolution happening, the cancer can develop resistance because not, ne- not all of the cells are going to be killed by the treatment. There's enough time for the cells that can resist the treatment itself. Mm-hmm. They can develop new ways to keep on growing. So it's kind of two, two separate issues. And the the great, I mean, one of the drawbacks of really personalized medicine and really targeted therapies, you find exactly the error that is wrong in those cells and you target that and you target it hard. Mm-hmm. However, because it's only one thing that you're targeting, it's really easy to sidestep it. So mm-hmm. imagine you're, say, driving along a motorway and, you know, chemotherapy or radiotherapy, they're really broad. They're not very targeted. They just target cells that divide rapidly. That's like, you know, putting a block across the whole road. No one can go anywhere, but everyone is stopped, even the healthy ones. And that's why you get side effects. However, if you go for targeted, you've just crossed off one of the lanes. To begin with, the, the, the cars, the cells, they kind of go along and they think, oh, no, this isn't very good. I can't really go where I need to go. But there is another lane available. So once they realize, they can just sidestep it. Mm-hmm. And so does that also link one of the things we were saying about earlier about the the fact that we know that there is a difference between when you uh, diagnose and tackle that cancer and if you can get it early, then you are more likely to be able to um, fight it, beat it, whatever words we want to use with it and to survive that cancer, depending, of course, on the type of cancer, mm-hmm. because uh, they depend on the survival rates. But is that something to do with it in terms of that um, resistance to treatment? Or is it even more complex? As you say, I think it really depends on the cancer type. And I'm by no means an expert in all cancer types. Um, but you definitely have picked up on a good point of how picking cancers earlier, detecting them makes it way easier to treat them because, because it's a time dependent process. And so, and the longer you go, the more that's probably gone wrong with the cells. 
if you catch that earlier, there's probably maybe a bit less wrong with the cells, they're easier to target, etc. The main problem and why cancer is such a horrible disease is when it spreads. So cancer normally starts in a primary location, so uh, say in the lung. And then when it spreads is when it gets really bad. So when it spreads away from the lung to new sites and you get new tumors forming and it's called metastasis. And that's the primary problem. What causes deaths in cancer is when it spreads further because it's all about the cells being invasive. And if you stop cells being invasive, then they can't really invade anywhere and affect where they're going to invade. I don't want to do that thing where I bring up pop culture references again, but I'm going to. Well, I think you should. Thank you. Because Please do. <laughs> thank you. So a long time ago, I was a 14-year-old girl reading John Green, The Fault in Our Stars, as everybody did. Oh. And I never really understood the bit where Augustus says he lit up like a Christmas tree. I knew it was bad. And I knew he was going to die when I read that. But I never really understood how he could have had one type of cancer that then progressed to being all over his body that then was the reason he was going to die. But... Hearing that and hearing the fact that if you find it in one place early, you'll, you know, and then it spreads and it's worse, that now makes sense to me a little bit more. So, there we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, it goes back to language, doesn't it? We talk about it, it spreading yeah. like it's a weed yeah. and it grows yeah. and spreads. But actually, what you're saying is it, it isn't it spreading like a weed right. over things. It's, it's telling other cells to, to become yeah. it. Mm-hmm to change to go mutant Mm -hmm. yeah so i guess that's one of the major problems often with um with breast cancer and this it varies in different cancers how soon it happens so some cancers are very good at staying in their original site it takes a really long time for them to decide i'm going to go somewhere else as well whereas in certain types of breast cancer people very often have surgery to remove their breasts and seem fine however there's something called micrometastases where the cancer has spread really early on but it's such a small amount that it goes somewhere in the body it's undetectable Mm -hmm. with our current methods it's later it kind of lies there for a certain amount of time people you know go on lead their lives and then it comes back but in a different place because the cells had already spread but they were waiting for kind of the perfect storm to happen again in a few years time and then they come back which is why i suppose it's so scary for people because you hear you know you've had to have a breast removed and you're told you know we're told all the time check your boobs regularly and a lot of us do everyone should do check your boobs regularly but then you hear about people who have gone (laughs) through all that and because we're not able to detect it when it's that tiny tiny amount they then have it again and it's scary for people to think mm. of that, particularly mm. if you've had it once and you Completely. think you've bought it off. I think we also need some more gin to <laughs> for this conversation. So we're, we're just going to pour yeah. another solace. Yeah. And I think that's that's also the interesting thing because it is that keeping, um, t- is it like keeping tabs on things mm-hmm. in that you, the gin we're drinking, the solace gin, is cervical cancer and of course we we were talking earlier about you know the fun of going and having a cervical smear uh (laughs) to to check um for that because of that identifying it early Mm -hmm. um and of course then then 
you can get jabs now in school. Yeah, we had them in had. school. Uh, I can't remember what year it was, but mm-hmm. we had a cervical cancer jab. And I remember we didn't get told anything about it up until like a week before. And we got this letter going, you're going to have this jab. And half of us, they're going, okay, brilliant. We're having this jab. But a lot of people were there going, well, that's really scary. We don't understand how this jab works. We don't understand why we're having it when we're this young. It's, you know, it's yeah, completely. It is really complicated. And I th- um, that kind of picks up on your question earlier of what causes cancer in the first place. In this case, you can get a vaccine against it because it's a virus that causes it. So it's the, it's the HPV virus, I think. Um, right. Don't quote me on that. I'm, I'm semi-sure. Um, but it's a, a virus that then infects your cells and causes either this, uh, its own kind of mutations, basically. It makes the cells change their behavior. So if you can prevent against the infection in itself you prevent the cancer from happening and it is I think it's okay. such a big development to being rather than just treating cancer now we can prevent, prevent it. it if that we understand massive. the causes more we can intervene yeah and but so- also interesting that we have realized that in the time between you being at school which wasn't donkeys years ago in <laughs> fairness to you <laughs> and me being at school because that is that's not if you think about it in the grand scheme of things it's that's not, not a, a huge massive amount, amount of time, time. Completely. I've had this discussion with my mum. So this is a bit of a personal story and I hope that's okay. Um, My mum has recently recovered um, from chemo and radiotherapy because she had um, cancer in her tonsils, which was caused by HPV, like caused by the virus that this vaccine vaccinates against. And she said to me, I am so glad that you got those jabs when you were younger because this has completely changed things. You know, I've seen the difference right in my family I've seen that the difference it can make and yeah the more we know the more we can protect future generations from things that really are preventable mm-hmm. I've got a little goosebump there. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow I oh, mean she, that's... she's she's doing really well now just to let you know good, uh, good. Thriving. her treatment went really well um but yeah I feel so lucky that we know mm. enough that we can even if we detected it a bit late, we can do, we, you know, my mum's still around. She can meet mm. my kids. She can, you know, I think it's quite easy to get caught up in the science of it when you're an academic. But really this, why I got into it is to help people. And because it's such a big issue and it affects mm. so many people, it really is maximum kind of risk reward. It makes such a big difference for so many people that definitely I, it gives me motivation every day. That's really, wow, that's quite amazing to hear because it is, I mean, obviously we're here to talk about the science behind it, but it must be hard when you are involved in it in an emotional sense, but you're also trying to look at science to separate those two things, particularly because it is something that is so impactful. The work you're doing is going to do amazing things, hopefully. Completely. I am so grateful to the scientists before me and after me that are going to make differences to so many people's lives you know my mum was really lucky she because so much research has gone into understanding why certain treatments work in certain people we know that because she was positive for this virus the best treatment for her is this case and she and the prognosis so the result of the you know the likelihood of the success of the treatment is really good and you know if she had this 20 30 years ago it would be a completely different story and that is true for so many different cancers we understand so much more now so she's also 
sorry, if it wasn't clear, I have a lot of respect and love for my mum. <laughs> so she's also um, a doctor. And so when she qualified to be a doctor, she, uh, there was a certain type of childhood cancer that the survival rate was 10%. You know, that is awful. And then now she's kind of at the end of her medical career the survival rate is 90%. It's completely inverted. Wow. And that's in the span of someone's kind of doctor lifespan, which yeah. is, I mean, it's really inspiring, but there's still so much work to do. There's so many challenges still to face. And I, I think actually that was something we were saying about how there are some cancers that seem to be quite almost routine in their treatment now it's like oh you've got that cancer that's fine you have this treatment and you're cured and there's kind of that you know the the ability to be able to do that and to know for certain that you can actually treat that cancer and then there are other cancers that you hear about that is is much more difficult to treat and really hard you know that that as soon as you hear that term of cancer, it's like, oh my God, that's that's a really big deal. And essentially it it is just that there isn't as much known about how that how those cells are responding and therefore how to treat them. Yeah, completely. I think um I, I just to slightly clarify what I said earlier about how we're getting more cancer types, not because more are occurring, but because we know more about them. There are a few kind of changes now because the world we live in is really different. So there's been a lot of media focus recently on kind of our behavior and our lifestyle choices, Mm -hmm. how they can affect cancer. And there are certain chemicals, certain things in the environment that mean that we are more likely to get cancer. And some of them do lead to their own types of cancer. So it's not that you know, the number is set and it's never going to change because there are external influences for sure. For example, with asbestos, it leads to a really specific type of lung cancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the environment that humans exist in is changing and therefore the environment that cancer can develop is changing, changing. But largely it is that we kind of are breaking down things smaller and smaller. So um, as you were saying about screening, if we can catch things earlier, we'll have a way better idea of how to treat it so i think it is true that some cancers progress at different rates so some are much more aggressive and they spread a lot more quickly um, versus some that are over a really long period of time and slowly slowly are kind of gently accumulating problems that eventually will form a cancer whereas some are on a shorter time scale but the ones that we diagnose really late it's not always that the process has been really quick it's that we missed the earlier stages because they didn't have any symptoms Mm -hmm. so if we can screen people without symptoms then we can maybe intervene earlier because we're missing all of these stages where people aren't going to the doctor because to them there's nothing wrong and so it's kind of getting in there earlier but it definitely is the case that some cancers are faster moving than others so it is it is quite variable but i think one of the huge things that is going to come out of cancer research in the next few years decades whatever is screening if we can find things markers is what we call them so if you can test something say someone's blood or you can take a little bit of their skin or you know some of their cells from somewhere and you can say oh this is much more likely to go on to cause cancer than the next person you can do something then and then it's not 
you know it doesn't escalate you can get in there early I get really wound up about screening I've got to admit there's lots of things that frustrate me with screening which you are not the person to air those things to but I often wonder about I'm gonna wear them anyway for skin (laughs) cancer for example people of color are so much less likely to have skin cancer diagnosed and then for cervical cancer the fact that it's only past 25 even though people under 25 sometimes get it and I get really frustrated because I'm like is it a case of if there were more money, then we would be screening these things better? Is it a case that we just need to do a science? I was going to say, it must be hard to, to Sorry, work out where finished. to put the money. Yeah, yeah. You know, where do you put the money? Where Absolutely. do you put the money into screening? Do you put the money into the, the research? research? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's difficult to know whether to try and prevent more cancers or cure mm-hmm. more cancers on the other end if you're yeah. thinking really long term you'd go for prevent but then you're kind of um, neglecting anyone who's already is past that point for them so trying to trying to balance that is really difficult I think um, especially you see um, so a lab group that I work with within my um, research unit are working on BRCA2 mutation genes so these mm-hmm. are genes that people are passed down through their family so their mothers will have it and then they'll pass them on to their daughters and it means that they're more likely to develop breast cancer and they're trying to understand with people who have this mutation already that has been passed on is there anything they can do to make it less likely that they'll get cancer in future because if you have this this gene present it does mean that you're more likely to develop it but maybe there's some specific action you can take and actually sort of change your future and change the probability so they're kind of focusing on the preventative side of things as well of course we do there are other genes that we know are passed down in families so you would see that um a certain family is more like loads of the family members have developed this type of cancer mm-hmm. and that it does actually affect quite a few people and if we can work out why they're more likely to get that cancer because we don't necessarily know yet or what the trigger is because sure they have this mutation to begin with but that doesn't mean that they have cancer now why at some point, do things go wrong? And can we stop that from happening? (laughs) There was something you said earlier about, um, you know, our lifestyle choices and prevention of um, susceptibility to cancer. Sarah's asking because her 50 a day habit's really getting (laughs) (laughs) What, 50 gins a day? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But so is there a... Is there some, are there some cancers that you are genetically predisposed? There are too many mm. long words in one sentence. No, it's good. But... Genetically predisposed is a very clever thing to say. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. It's okay. Um, it's amazing. I can it's say it after two large gyms. It's accurate. See? <laughs> but is it that you are just a bit more, you're a bit more likely to get it? And then are there things that you would just do you know, is there something that we should all be doing or not doing to stop being so susceptible to cancer? Definitely. I think that's where the research is heading. I know I've spoken about DNA being the cause of cancer and these spelling errors, but it needs a certain environment for those errors to have an effect. So there's this interplay between your DNA and your environment. And if we can change that environment, let's assume that the DNA is set. You've got this, this error in your, in your DNA, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get cancer and it is all on probability. It's not, 
yes or no it's you know you are 30 percent more likely whatever the number is mm -hmm. but we can change part of this equation right so we need to understand that because it's not set in stone already with just the just the mutation by itself and kind of additional mutations do need to happen for that to progress further so it's trying to understand the interplay between what's decided by the dna and what's decided by the environment and how can we stop them talking to each other basically <laughs> i suppose your research as well is so linked in with other people it's a field where you're constantly communicating with one another to see where each other are at with things because you're learning so much from each other as well completely i think what interests me so much about cancer kind of purely scientifically i i think we've discussed why i'm interested in other ways as well but purely scientifically is it some it takes into account so much of biology mm -hmm. you know you've got to think about the immune system you've got to think about how cells decide whether they should die you've got to think about how cells produce energy you've got to think about how cells talk to each other it's all these different aspects of biology but they've all been kind of slightly corrupted um in the mm. cancer context so you really it's such a holistic picture and that's just when you look at say the more basic side of research that I do, as soon as you get into patients, it gets even more complicated because you've got kind of differences in lifestyle habits, differences in background. They're all of these things that come together and really trying to understand it all as one person is completely impossible. So it's mm. such a collaboration. How did you get into this kind of research? Mm. Um, contrary to popular belief, I didn't really want to be a scientist until I was 18. Mm. that's probably uh, sacrilegious um <laughs> I liked science sure I, I kind of I think I wanted to do medicine really um mm. but then eventually I kind of worked out I wanted to know why with a lot of things and I think um science is a really good way to just have time to ask questions and I think I just was so when you learn about chemistry and how simple, well, not say, obviously it's quite complicated and I don't understand it at all, fully. I was going to say, there's um, all the chemists going, we're not simple, <laughs> it's not simple. <laughs> yeah, complete. But how kind of elegant and refined chemistry, when you draw molecules and you think about atoms and electrons and all of these things, it's so kind of fundamental. It's really on the smallest scale. And then I thought, well... You kind of see a lot of it is kind of random processes that kind of just happen. But how have we ended up being walking, breathing humans? Mm. It doesn't seem very logical. <laughs> What's there's a big there's a big jump the big jump here. I think about well, this is gonna sound a bit sad, but I think about single cells all the time, right? And I think the only way to imagine them is as mini humans. Yeah. You know, yeah. they have a lot of the properties that humans have. They've got to make decisions. They've got to talk to their friends. They've got to work out where they are. It makes it so much more vivid for me to try and think about it as, you know, sometimes I see a tumor as kind of a village of people and they're all kind of, they're all slightly different, but they're from And now imagine if one of them had a sword. <laughs> But there you go, that's your cancer cell. Wait, why have they got a sword? <laughs> because they're a village of people and they end up being medieval characters with swords. This is why I failed science, okay, guys? But, okay, you know, no, I, I like where think. this is going. The cells are kind of quite violent. You know, if they're cancer yeah. cells, they've got a, a mission. 
Yeah, Thank they're going to damage the other villages around them. They're going to invade. Oh my goodness, this is perfect. See, if you would be my this. teacher, I would have passed with such a better grade <laughs> because that makes so much more sense to me. But I, and I think, you know, this is where this conversation has been so useful because if we if we lay people that that don't look at this all the time, look mm-hmm. at it from a scientific point of view... It's really hard to try and visualize what's going yeah. on. And when we're taught, told about cancer, when we ever get onto conversations about can- cancer, it's so much more it's about a solemn, emotional, yeah. difficult subject and right, to talk so in a lot of ways about. because it is something that affects Completely. a lot of people. It's really hard, but it, I it's think a really fine balance, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah, I find but it really hard to... because I have both this emotional connection and this academic connection and trying to marry them both is sometimes really hard because you don't mm. necessarily know what someone wants for the conversation and sometimes even I find it a challenge to talk to my mom about my research because for her it's such it is obviously such an emotional topic and it is for me as well but kind of not so much the academic me and mm-hmm that's completely that's obviously going on in everyone else's minds as well when they hear about kind of cancer money being raised and all of this so finding that balance is kind of essential I think because it is such an emotional subject but that's really why we need to understand it because so many of us are going to be affected that if we can understand it we can help those people in our life more and we can help them through what it's going to be a rough time and we can understand more what is going on with them. Oh, and yeah. you keep giving me goosebumps, honestly. <laughs> Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Is, it's such a complex combination of things, as, as you've said, mm-hmm. Annie. You know, it's the, the triggering of the cancer cells to start mutating. It's the impact on other cells around them. It's those decisions that they make. It's then the movement into other areas that they may go. And there's such complexity. And on top of this, they're not, I think people often think, you know, cancer is really separate from the rest of your body is this bit, which is separate, but Mm -hmm. it is occurring within your own body and your own cells are going to react to it as well. And Mm. there's so many interplaying factors. So I can't, I can't even name all of them because I don't know them and I'm, you know, studying the actual subject that Mm. I think often when we do research, we have to simplify it because it's too we don't know enough yet to combine everything all into one so this is why it's so important to work really closely with clinicians and with doctors and find the patient level so the whole human level thing and combine it with one cell at a time level information so then we can get a bigger idea of everything how everything all fits in together and you know so much progress has been made because people are combining all of this knowledge you can't yeah. see a tumour as an isolated thing because that's not the real world at all. And you really need to consider the whole picture. So there's yeah. a group within my research unit that looks at all the cells that aren't the cancer cells. So the cells themselves that are right next door to the cancer and how, how do they interact? Because surely they know something's up and how are they, how are they yeah. playing off each other? Actually, that's really interesting. So they look at the the so-called normal cells that are existing next to the cancer cells so actually quite often the normal cells around a cancer get kind of corrupted themselves but not necessarily in the same way so the cancer cells can sort of 
co-opt the nearby cells and say, come on, you know, help us with our mission, even if they themselves aren't necessarily damaged, they can send certain signals and say, mm. you know, we're okay here. Don't worry about us. You could help us by doing this. And actually in terms of metabolism, there's some evidence that the tumor cells are eating something specific and then, you know, their equivalent of poop, their waste product goes mm-hmm. out and then the nearby cells eat that it's not disgusting. It's all just molecules. Don't worry about yeah. it. And then they process it into something that the cancer cells can then eat. So there's this kind of cycle going on where it's sort of like the human centipede. It's a bit horrible, <laughs> but it, that's the sort of situation you have going on. Got where... to reference this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you get this cooperation not even necessarily within the just the cancer cells so that's another aspect of why I see it as a village often is that you need all of these different cells sometimes doing different jobs within the cancer to produce the tumor as Mm. a result but then you also have these kind of nearby villages if you will that are helping out that village by supplying it with certain things and not realizing that they're they're helping out the demise of the entire universe that they're involved in so interesting but that interesting thing between having (laughs) a slow metabolism and a fast metabolism how that could potentially affect it is it's something i'd never even considered before but to know that would be fascinating and I think what I'm asking for here is to just join Annie and her research team because <laughs> I'm really intrigued by that <laughs> I'll see if we've got an opening thank you yeah. <laughs> but, but can yeah, I can I just help. backtrack a second Annie mm-hmm. because yes you please. have blown my mind slightly in the fact that cells <laughs> eat things because now I have Pac-Man in my head I have to admit <laughs> yes because I don't yeah, see a cell eating something it's just yeah if you imagine as well that the cancer cell is pac-man right and the little ghosts that follow you around the immune system they're trying to catch you that's pretty similar to how things are in your body (laughs) fair enough (laughs) can i ask you something not very intelligent but that i need to know of course i mean i don't think they're unintelligent (laughs) questions you should hear me at work (laughs) well my main knowledge of cells and people on the internet will understand this is the phrase mitochondria, the powerhouse <laughs> of the cell. And I'm not really sure I understand what start. that means. <laughs> so this is very good you've brought it up because in the ca- in cancer, this is maybe not the case. Um, oh, so basically... I did something! <laughs> <laughs> you did? You did? This is very good. This is a nice segue. Um, so there are kind of two main energy-producing pathways in your cell. So mm. like you eat, food to get energy your cells do the same because um, mm-hmm. they need energy to do everything a cell wants to do if it wants to move around if it wants to make stuff it needs energy um, and there are kind of two ways to do this so one of these is through the mitochondria which is <laughs> as everyone knows the powerhouse of the cell, the powerhouse um, of the cell. <laughs> and, <this> is <laughs> and with the reactions that occur in mitochondria you need oxygen for them to happen and this is the, the most efficient way to produce energy However, when oxygen isn't present, so for example, if you've sprinted really hard and your body just can't take in the oxygen hard enough, uh, fast enough, sorry, you you know your body feels a bit different and that's because it's using a different kind of energy production process. Um, And this is using something called glycolysis where they produce less energy, but it's quicker. So it's better for those kind of short sprints. So think of the mitochondria as the marathon, and the mm-hmm. glycolysis, the like shorter one as the sprint. So you've got Usain Bolt versus Mo Farah. 
Yeah. So Mo Farah is the mitochondria, Usain Bolt is the glycolysis. And what we see often in cancer, but it's becoming clear that it's not um, you know, a blanket statement, is that cells don't use their mitochondria anymore. And you think, well, surely they need more energy. They're doing loads of bad things. You know, they're producing loads of cells, which has surely got to be tiring and they need energy yeah. for that. Or they're moving around, which definitely needs more energy. But there are certain processes that are it's better to have more energy quicker. And basically you can use right. other molecules that you produce while making this energy to make other things, say more cells, which, you know, is what cancer is aiming to do. So, you know, there's pros and cons of both ways of producing energy. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so the mitochondria isn't necessarily the powerhouse of the cell in cancer, but what's really cool and what I find really interesting I need to clarify this is cool in terms of an academic sense and definitely mm -hmm. not in terms of like yeah. the broad sense is that this is, you know, the cells don't use their mitochondria, but this isn't set in stone. It's dynamic. So like, you know, when you sprint versus when you run a long distance, your body can change between them. It's really flexible. You know, if you run a marathon, but then you sprint the last 100 meters, your body's going to switch and the cancer mm. can do the same thing. So it starts off by not using the mitochondria because using it in a different way, producing the energy in a different way is beneficial for some reason. But at some point during the cancer in the development of it, so there's also this evolution as the cancer exists within a patient. So it's challenged with treatment. It's challenged with all these different things. Um, it may be that it's better to now switch back to the mitochondria. So we see actually in some cancers, this, the, so there's the primary site, as I said before, where the tumor develops. And then when it has to escape that site and go to somewhere else it, and form a metastasis, it turns on its mitochondria again, which we all thought up until quite recently, they were broken. They were, you know, mm -hmm. they're out for the count, but we can re they can reactivate them and then use all their goodness again. So it's this really dynamic process switching between. And I think that's what um, is quite interesting scary about cancer is how yeah. flexible it is but that's how it survives is by adapting but that's the thing you can <laughs> you can you can admire and find such fascination in the ability to yeah. be so villainous but you yeah. still want the hero to win you do absolutely. and that's where your research Completely. comes in because you can really yeah, understand that super villain exactly. mindset exactly i think you kind of have to have annoyingly cancer is very clever yeah. so you have to kind of respect that to understand it so then you yeah. can then treat it because if yeah. you underestimate it i mean that's when the problems come in so i think to really be able to tackle it, we need to understand the complexity of it and kind of think, wow, you've really gone there, you know, in a weird way. Mm -hmm. um, it is, it's a bit of an internal battle sometimes because you're like, wow, that is so cool. Science is so but, cool. Yeah. Oh, wait, that's really bad. Like, how mm. can we stop this? And I guess that's kind of what's great about studying research you know studying cancer even at the very basic level so I'm not even looking at treatments I'm trying to understand the cancer itself you know how these things happen in the first place and you think okay that makes sense but the application is there of 
we found out this cool thing that happens. How can we stop it? Because it's such a collaboration between so many different types of scientists, doctors, medical professionals, drug companies. It's a whole kind of spectrum of people that even the discoveries right at the beginning of why is the cancer doing this can feed into this process of okay it does this which is different to our normal healthy cells so we can do this and it's all it's like a really big team effort to get it from one stage to the final stage of how can we benefit patients which i think is what drives everything basically at least for me i know some people are more interested just in the science itself and i I respect them a lot and that is a certain type of academic but for me I I need some I need to know at some point even if it's 20 years down the line this might make a difference and this is you know beneficial I guess in society because research is quite challenging um it's quite unforgiving I guess um but what I don't care about that as long as we get somewhere eventually, you know? <laughs> I'm about to have a little cry over this because honestly, that was <laughs> probably the most beautiful thing I've heard in quite a while. <laughs> but Annie, this has been amazing. I've learned so much. And honestly, I have had goosebumps and almost cried at least three times now. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. It's been amazing. Um, thank you so much for the opportunity. This is so cool. Thank it's you. my first podcast that I've taken part in. So Ooh, that's so exciting. <laughs> And I am buzzed for included gin. I can't imagine anything better. So, <laughs> thank you. Brilliant. See you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Okay. Wow. Can I begin it all by saying I think I've got a bit of a crush on Annie now. Yeah. I kind of want her around for dinner. Yeah. Wow. Inviting people onto this podcast mm-hmm. and, you know, the thought of trivialising subjects yeah. because we're drinking, drinking gin, gin and, and yeah. just talking about things yeah. in a way that we can understand things, but it's an enjoyable conversation. And having cancer as a topic, I was thinking, bloody hell, yeah. how do it's, you it's, do it? It's scary and it's stressful because I know friends who've been affected by it and there's lots of people in the world who I don't know who have been affected by it and you don't want to trivialize in any way the emotional response and the hurt and the pain and everything that goes along with that but you also want to try and have a a conversation about it and learn about it absolutely and you know that big c word you know the amount of of effort that so many people have gone to to try and break down those barriers and enable us to actually talk about cancer yeah well we talked about cancer and I learned a lot I was moved and I also had fun talking about it. I know that might not seem like the right word a lot of the time but I enjoyed having the conversation I enjoyed learning things and I feel like you know the world's a pretty scary place at the moment there's a lot going on I'm sure even when this goes out there'll be a lot going on but I feel a little bit hopeful after yeah. that conversation yeah and do you know I found more and more as we went through, Mm. my hope um, came from understanding more about how really difficult and cancer is to understand because it isn't a thing. It's your cells changing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's 
cells being being nasty bastards. Absolute fuckers. It's no wonder that cancer treatment is so difficult. No wonder. And I'd like to thank Annie as well for sharing her emotional stuff behind yeah. it and her personal stuff because I think, again, that can be really hard to talk about and was really interesting and heartwarming to learn. And I'd like to thank Solace Gin for being lovely to drink. Well, do you and know, helping the world. <laughs> and uh, the humility of people like Annie when they yeah. say that they're yeah. working on just a tiny, a tiny percentage. Bit. But there are lots of Annies. There are so many Annies. And I probably would have a crush on them all. And on even that. more importantly, yes, we've now got a point where if you are in an exam and you say, mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell you can add another little bit that says however <laughs> and i quite like knowing we've done that yeah so on that <laughs> thank you annie thank you annie yeah and let's go finish solace gin what the thank whole bottle? you no no not not the whole bottle Sarah, shall I tell them where they can find us? I think you ought to, because you're the young person, so you know where we can be found. It's true. You can find us on Twitter at Topic Gin. And the same on Instagram. Yeah. And that's all wrong, because Facebook's dead in the water, TikTok, neither of us are young enough for... And I forget what other ones there are. We've got a website. We do have a website. We have ginandtopic.com. Photos by Matthew Richer. Yeah. <laughs>